благодарение Богу. Thanks be to God that having been justified by His grace according to the hope we are made heirs of eternal life. I will read the word of God and those who have notes, I am going to um, follow along the notes. I will read the word of God that is written in Psalms 119 verses 147 through 148. I am sure that all of us are very familiar with this place of scripture where David says words such as, your word is a light unto my path. I presume that all children of God who have believed in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ we all know this word, and for us, this word is the light, the light for each of our paths. And it is a light for our path. And Apostle Peter, in his second and his second book, reads words such as, and so we have the great prophetic word, and you do well that you turn to it as to the lamp that shines in a dark place until day begins to flourish and the morning star rises in our hearts. We come here every time for what? In order to run to the Word of God. Because if God does not enlighten our way or our path and does not enlighten each of our steps, we might end up in a problem. And Apostle Paul, in the first book, he wrote words such as this. I, you shall be reminded. To be reminded means to go over material again. And today I want to remind us of those events that we hear together on Friday services. And we have stopped to study the lot and studying the name of God, Fortress. We will not forget that the foundation for God to become our fortress is His Word. His Word that He has magnified in the temple of our body above all of His name and has clothed this Word into the status of His law. The Word of God tells us that He forever has established His Word in the heavens. In Psalms 137, it says that He has magnified His Word above all of His name, and there is no other way. There is no other way for us to come to God. We can come to God only through His Word. And then the boundaries of the price that we need to pay in order for our hearts to become a fortress for God, which would give God the legal right to be our fortress, is comprised of offering to God a fruit of righteousness in the name Maher Shalal Hajbaz. I, along with you, wanted to learn a little bit more what this name means. And as a disciple, I came and for several days I meditated upon how I can understand this and how can I use this name in my life. 
Because if we simply know just the word, and if we accept it, but we don't meditate upon it in order to place it into circulation so that we can apply it in our lives, then for us, this will mean nothing. It will not give anything to us. The name Maher Shalal Hashbaz means he who strives toward the prey or strives toward the reward. And in Hebrew, this name means to hurry to the prey, to achieving the prey. And I think each of us think about who we are going to steal from or what kind of prey we are going to strive to. This reward or this prey is the reward of the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ that has been prepared for us in righteousness, righteousness that will destroy the power of life in our body, excuse me, destroy the power of death in our body and replace it with the power of life in our body. When we see our reward in the adoption of our bodies through the redemption of Christ that is found in the captivity of reigning sin, it hastily strives to steal from the old man to deprive him of the power over his body. Together, we live in such a period of time where oftentimes uh, we know that we live we hear that we live during the door of our hope when our bodies or in our bodies the resurrection of Christ will reign so that in order for it, for it to reign God needs us to do something from our from our end and to better understand all of the events that do occur and that are tied that are tied with the name Maher Shalal Hajbaz they are written in the book of Prophet of Isaiah in chapter 7 and in the 8th chapter and I'm not going to read them aloud um, you can read them on your own at home because the events that are highlighted in these two chapters are tied to one another and are one whole. That's why to study these events outside of the body of a person who has an organized partaking to the body of Christ is to go uh, in an unfaithful direction in our interpretations. So all of these events, all of these kings, all of this is found in us. And if we look at this, um, if we look at this image, we'll see what we need to do and how God can uh, apply it in our lives. And today, uh, by reminding ourselves of what the Holy Spirit tells us from this place, I think each of us know how the Holy Spirit speaks in our heart. Oftentimes, I ask the question and ask, do you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? Sometimes people um, shrug their shoulders. Some of them say, I don't know. And some of them say, I do hear. I hear very well. I say, you know how God hears into the heart of a person about the Holy Spirit? He has only one condition. Through the gospel word or the preached word of the messenger of God. I don't know how this occurs in you, but I, each time when I have a problem or something else, I pray and I ask God. And when hearing sermons, I 
have a question, I ask God a question. I ask God the questions. And when I hear the word of God, we hear sermons. Oh, we listen to these sermons. I always receive answers to my questions, and not just through the sermons, but also when I speak with my brothers and sisters who live with this word. All of a sudden they say, you know, I heard this sermon, a pastor said these words, and all of a sudden this sister, this brother says something, and I hear the answer that was necessary for me. That's why we must be very attentive. We must be very attentive to this. What kind of conditions are necessary to fulfill? To have the foundation to use the weapon of righteousness in the name of Hashbaz, so that the grace of God, Jesus Christ, and the dignity of the power of life could reign in our bodies. According to all of these, in all of these events, the prophet Isaiah was first supposed to take a large scroll and clearly engrave on it the name of the promise in the dignity Hashbaz, that upon the fulfillment of certain conditions will become the fruit of his womb. An interesting question arises. What was Isaiah's foundation that gave God the basis or the foundation to turn his attention and to speak to him and give him the opportunity to engrave or to write the promise in the name of Hershalal Hajbaz. And I want us to understand that this promise he had received in a seed when he had said, write this down. And he gave him wisdom and the ability for the promise that he has received as a deposit to place it into circulation and to receive fruit in the name of Hershalal Hajbaz so that we could uh, we could rob the old man and receive the prey that is contained in the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ. Evidence that pro the prophet Isaiah carried or demonstrated, these same evidences that must be in us, and as we have already noted, that all of this that occurred occurs in us, and we view it all as happening in our body. These evidences are contained in the name Isaiah, in the name Isaiah himself and the name of his son. The father prophet Isaiah was Amos. His name means he who carries the burden of responsibility of the interests of the Most High. A question arises, how did he receive and how can we together receive and how must we receive the ability to carry upon ourselves the weight of the interests of the Most High? Not all people can carry the interests and the burden of the Most High. Some people carry them, uh, don't carry them. All of the mysteries contained in what he's involved in. I think you know, he was a shepherd. His father was a shepherd. David, it is written that he tended to the sheep of his father. It's written of Moses that he tended to the sheep of his father-in-law, Jethro. Jethro, who was a priest, uh, who was a priest. And with regard to this, I want to make one small remark. I think those who don't understand what a remark is, a remark is a certain description involving a circumstance or 
uh, or an event. This is highlighted well in the book Ezra, Ezra chapter 8, verse 4. This chapter is about those people who left, um, who went out of Babylon. The name Elihu Henai that is written in this chapter of Ezra means my eyes strive to the Lord or look to the Lord. The son Zerahia means looking upon the Lord. What, would, what do I want to say with this? If in our lives we will not have the person or if we do not accept the person who is placed to rule over our lives as a father, we will not have any enlightenment and our eyes will never strive to the Lord. With regard to this, we can also say this, that we will not have any seed because the Father gives the seed and the seed is given through the preached word of the messengers of God. And if there is no seed that's planted, the waters have nothing to water. This is God's established law. We must understand that we can't ourselves interpret, um, interpret Scripture. When we come here, when we come into the house of the Lord, we hear the Word of God, we accept it, and then we meditate upon it and then we place it into circulation. The name of the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, means the Lord is the helper of my salvation. And the son of Isaiah, Shi'ar Deshu, is the fruit of justification that is accepted in the seed and that is grown. His name means God will return his remnant out of cap from captivity. From this it follows that if we do not tend to the sheep of our Father or the thoughts of the one who presents the fatherhood of God for us, we will not be given the opportunity to carry upon ourselves the burden of the interests of the Most High. And consequently, we won't be able to trust, trust God to be built up in salvation that is given according to the gift of grace. People nowadays, they evangelize, they do good works. Some of them, um, you tell them something and they say, works, works, and works. We need to do works. We must understand that these works must be made in the Lord. These are those works that God wants us to do and not those um, that our flesh wants us to do. And in these circumstances, we will not be able to have the fruit of justification in the dignity of Shi'ar Jashub. And in our spirit, we will not have the atmosphere that gives us the guarantee of being delivered from slavery of reigning sin in our bodies. Also, we will not be able to draw near to God in order to receive the promise in our fortress, promise in His fortress, in the dignity of Maher Shalal Hajbaz. 
Now, returning to our question today, what conditions are necessary to fulfill to use the weapon of righteousness in the name of Herschel Hashbaz? Isaiah first was supposed to take a large scroll and clearly engrave the name Mahershal Hajbaz on it. This was the promise, his reward, that upon fulfillment, upon the fulfillment of certain conditions would become the fruit of his womb. And this is expressed well in the words of Habakkuk. And I will read this place of scripture. This is Habakkuk chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at that end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. When we had received this promise of the reign of the resurrection of Christ in our bodies, uh, when it had resonated in our hearts, when I had heard it at first, let the resurrection of Jesus Christ reign in our in our bodies. When I had read about this I, and I looked to scripture, I, I realized how poured out this promise is through all of scripture. It is the foundation. The foundation of the teaching of Jesus Christ contains this promise. And when I talk with believers and I talk about this specific subject, they look at me as if something's not right. I have something not right in the head. When I told this one uh, person about this promise, he looked at me and says, you believe in this? He said, how come, we, so how come we have received this revelation? Because when we have come, many of the things that we heard we didn't quite understand fully. And the Word of God says that He sends His Word as rain and snow. And in order to understand it, uh, we had accepted it. And that which was um, uh, not that which we didn't understand quite fully all the way, we still accepted. We placed it in our heart, and the time had come, and the snow became water. And we had accepted it. And that's why when I say that Christ will soon come and my body will soon be transformed, I said, I will be like Adam before his sinfall. Believers look at me and they don't understand me. Of course, this doesn't um, cast any doubt in my heart. That's why together we must understand that we must be very attentive and we must never resist the words of the messenger of God. And for us to receive the right to draw near to God, we are called to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, knowing that the old man 
is crucified along with him. How do we consider? How do we consider this? Because Romans 6, 6 says, knowing that our old man is crucified along with him. He is found in us, but the word of God says that he is already crucified. We call the inexistent as existent. Uh, later on, I'm going to explain a little bit more in detail about this. Calling the inexistent as existent the fruit of Mahershal Hajbaz, how does this occur? You say, thank you, Lord, that you have destroyed in my body the power of death and have reigned the power of life in my body in the resurrection with the resurrection of life. In doing so, we rob the old man. We rob the old man and we receive and obtain the reward that is contained in the adoption of our body. And in order for us to receive the reward in the adoption of our body through the redemption, um, through the death of Christ, we, in the presence of two or three witnesses, or excuse me, two witnesses, and um, these two witnesses were two prophets. In order for us to better understand this, this was Urim and Thummim. Urim is the revelation of the Holy Spirit for the presence of Thummim in our heart. Thummim is the reigning of the teaching of Christ. If we don't have the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ, if we do not study it, if we do not learn it, and if we do not engrave all of these virtues that are there in our heart, we won't if we don't understand them, God won't have anything to reveal to us. If we have no teaching, nothing will be revealed in us. With one pastor, I had um, held a discussion before. And he said, I told him, you don't have a teaching. He said, why? I said, well, the teaching of the Pentecostals is the teaching of the Antichrist. He said, what are you talking about? I said, well, let's take a look at scripture. I said, do you know this Episcopal, I won't name his name right now, but he says that when he was asked a question about what being born again is, he said, um, they all say, the churches that I grew up in, they said, we don't understand who we are, he said, but we know that when a person had spoken in tongues, he was born again. That's what they believe in. And I asked him, well, why? I understand uh, and this pastor tries to tell me well, when a child is born and he lets out a cry you know he's alive and I said well what if this child is, is deaf um, your logic then doesn't work we know that everyone who has accepted Christ as a savior is born of God that's what we know we must know the teaching of Jesus Christ if we are truly born again and in the presence of two witnesses Urim and Thummim to draw near uh, we will draw near to the prophetess in the presence of whom we will uh, give birth to this to this fruit which is Mahershal Hajbaz and for this purpose, purpose we along with Isaiah must proclaim the faith of our heart that abides in our heart in the promise of our hope that is contained or that contains the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ. In practice, our lips proclaiming the faith of God that abide in our heart in the promise Mahershal Hajbaz 
is the seed, is the seed that fertilizes our spirit. And when I had studied this place of scripture, for me it was very um, foreign. I didn't quite understand it fully, and I remembered one story. Uh, from the winter time. You know, each person who lives in battles with his old man, and there are, cer there are certain moments when he sees that he is losing. You know, we can agree. We, we felt this before. When I had prayed and I had said, Lord, I don't understand. I accept your authority. I have this teaching. I've accepted it. It is found in me. Whatever I do doesn't work. Why? And, you know, I had called the pastor. I won't say for what reason I called, but when I did call him, I asked him a certain question. How are you? And pastor here began to say, and when he began to speak, he had said, and everything that he said, I, I know all of this. And I said, yes, and we live with this truth. And as a person who knows, and he has repeated, how does he act when he hears it? I, I know all this information, but I tell myself, quiet, be quiet, listen. And Pastor uh, began to speak, or continued to speak, and he said a certain phrase. When he said or spoke this phrase, I had endured perhaps what the woman uh, had, had felt when she had met Maria, when Maria, Mary came to her. When I put down the phone, I walked around. I couldn't sit or lay down. I, walk, I was walking around. I, it, was, it was as if something covered me completely. The same thing occurs. He's, specifically, the phrase that Pastor said was, we accept the Word of God by faith. And it was a familiar phrase. So when we accept the faith, we place it in our heart and we begin to proclaim it. You know, this was, for example, something that was worded in Scripture, that, uh, that the earth was waterless and the Spirit of God hovered over the earth. And God said, let there be light. And you know, I understood all of this, and I began to do this. You remember, uh, perhaps at cell groups, you've already, you know, you've already studied that you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And every day I get up, I apply this in my life. So when I work at work, you know, I go to work, people stand and laugh, and you are then a part of this group, and so, and somebody says something incorrectly, or uh, you you say something incorrectly, or then, and then you question yourself, why did I do this? I wasn't supposed to do this. And the conscience, the conscience had judged me. I went and asked for forgiveness. I'm sorry, I wasn't right. I had yelled at you or I said this incorrectly. It's difficult. You, are, you feel broken. Um, and then when I begin to apply declarations or proclamations, I get up, and as soon as some, someone in my midst says something to me, 
I tell myself, you are holy unto the Lord, you must not speak this, and this began to actually work in my life. Because in this promise, Meher Shalom how can we fertilize ourselves? Because when we speak it, we fertilize our spirit, we give it power. And this promise, it will be fulfilled in our lives if we declare it and proclaim it. The proclamation of the faith of our heart gives power to our new man to rob or to deprive the old man of power. It gives us power to bind him and place him into prison until he is completely destroyed and cast out of our bodies. But while we are still here at the door of our hope, we, along with David, can say, and we can continually repeat this, pray with these words that are written in Psalms 119, verses 47 and 48. I rise before the dawn of the morning and cry for help. I hope in your word. My eyes are awake through the night watches that I may meditate on your word. Psalms 119, verses 147 through 148. When I had read this place or the meaning of this place, I had studied it and I had never thought that it would take me so long to memorize this. But I learned it. I will tell you what, what the meaning is because we understand that this is um, a, a parable or a proverb. And it contains this meaning. Before my body is clothed into the new man that contains the powers of the resurrection of Christ, I am going to call out to you for help and trust in your word. The eyes of my heart will look upon you and will wait for the clothing of my body in resurrection through my growth and study of the depths of your word. That's why I had first written these words. Your word are a light unto my feet and a light unto my path. Praise be to our God that we're able to turn to Him, to call out to Him. And now uh, I would like to remind another place of Scripture, and I would like to now uh, turn to the text, to the notes that we have. The other place of Scripture that I really like is written in the book of Job, Job chapter 29, verses 19 through 20. My root is spread out to the waters, and the dew lies all night on my branch. My glory is fresh within me, and my bow is renewed in my hand. Sometimes it's, I'm interested in what other people um, listen to or preach in other churches. Um, and one time I heard a certain interpretation and I couldn't believe what I heard. The true meaning of this place of scripture means the following. Uh, this is also a proverb. 
My justification is founded or based on the teaching of Christ, and the power of this teaching dwells in all areas of my life. You see, when I pray, I understand that not all spheres of my life are grasped by the teaching, and as uh, while I listen to the sermon, there is a certain sphere, the emotional sphere, that sometimes tries to resist. And this is a very strong sphere. Sometimes I want to remind you that there was a man when he had come to Joshua, when he came to Judah, they couldn't overcome this person, the Jebusite. This was a city and the name of a man. This was a city and the place of Jerusalem. And then it began to be called Jerusalem. But somehow these Jebusites, they had built a strong tower there. And the strong tower on Mount Zion. And they had lived there. And no one knew them. It's written later on that David had overcome the Jebusites. Why? Because this sphere that we must also overcome, that the teaching of Je that we must place the teaching of Jesus Christ into, so that we could rule or govern ourselves. Because when David had gotten up, he was asked, why are you getting up to even the blind and the lame will be able to, to overcome you in this city? And David still got up and the word of God tells us that if our emotional sphere is not placed in control of the word of God, even the lame and the blind will be healed. This event was in Israel when the prophet Elijah was living. When he had turned to his people, he said, you should not be lame anymore. Because back then, um, were times similar to kind of how it was today. People come, they wake up, um, they feel good, they say, oh, I feel like the Lord is with me today. They are based on feelings. I am so blessed, I am so prosperous, my life is so good. When I hear these kind of words, I, I remember uh, gypsies. Um, some unchristian people, unbelievers had gathered. They were very spontaneous. They said, let's go uh, preach to the gypsies. And so these people went. What were they going to bring to them? They took some monetary help for them, and they went to go to the gypsies to preach to them. And they began to preach. Uh, they gave them some financial help. And they say, well, do you believe? Does God live? They're like, yes, God lives. And then I remembered this, uh, this certain story. And after some time, I met a certain person. I said, well, how is evangelism going on among the gypsies? He says, you know, these gypsies are so evil. I said, what happened? They said, we want to go evangelize to them. Um, a certain child, 13 years old, he asks me, do you have a coin? 
We told him, we don't have coins. Then that young boy went and ran around the streets and began to yell, God does not live, God does, God does not exist. There are only two people who then came to listen to this word. When we have this emotional sphere in us, what I'm trying to say is, when this emotional sphere is not um, controlled by the teaching of Jesus Christ, the same thing happens in us. And this emotional sphere ignites within us. Someone might say something incorrectly and we begin to question, why did he do this? Why did he say that? And we care for this way too much. And uh, then we're in turmoil and in, in despair. We must have the power of this teaching abide in all spheres of our life. And according to the events that had occurred with Job, remember when he was told, curse God. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives. He had waited for God. God had um, brought him through all of this. And he said that the glory of this teaching is immortal. Teaching, the teaching is immortal. Brothers and sisters, if we place it in all spheres of our life, this is our immortality. And furthermore, he says, my bow is renewed in my hand. How important it is to know the teaching of Jesus Christ. And Apostle Paul, in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, writes these following words. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. And we already know uh, this is perhaps not the correct translation. And in the original, it says that, uh, therefore, taking, bringing upon ourselves the discussion of the mentory principles. So this word leaving, leaving means not turning away from, completely forgetting about. It means still keeping them, maintaining it. So we leave these principles and we go on to perfection. We leave it as the basis. And we do this in order to bear fruit in Maharshal Hajbaz. Why is it important? Because with the teaching, he had destroyed the letter that was against us. In another place of scripture in Ephesians, it's written how uh, the law has abolished the law has been abolished through the teaching. And that's why I want us to remember what the elementary principles or the teachings of Jesus Christ are. The, the base teachings of Jesus Christ is the ancient path of goodness that is covered by the dew of the commandments of the Lord and that gives us the right to enter through the narrow gates into the kingdom of God, which is the source of eternal life that separates us from death. Which is the 
And we must know that if we accept a teaching that does not coincide with the order that is outlined in the 12 hours of a day, and we that means that we accept the teaching of the Antichrist, who according to the words of Scripture, outwardly does not differ from the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, but inwardly it lacks this great order of teaching, of the teaching. When I was a young man, I also didn't know the teaching of Jesus Christ, and we had gathered and we wanted to evangelize. We saw ourselves as preachers in parks, and this all occurred within me as well. And I don't know how, uh, but when we spoke with the brothers, they had said, we need to learn the teaching of the Charismatics, of the Pent Pentecostals and the Catholics and the and the Islam. And I had asked, why do we need all of this? I couldn't understand. I said, we need to know one teaching, the teaching of Jesus Christ. And when we know it, then we are going to be able to define what is correct or what is good and what is evil. That's why it's very important for us to know the teaching of Jesus Christ. And uh, this teaching of Jesus Christ is outlined in the 12 hours of a day. Why 12 hours a day? Because Jesus has said, are there not 12 hours in a day? He who walks in the day does not stumble, but the person who walks in the, in the person who walks in the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, outlined in the 12 hours of a day, he shall not stumble. But a person who does not have this teaching, he walks in the night, and he is going to stumble, and he is not going to be able to get back up. Therefore, this teaching we need, we must study it. When I listen to the sermons, uh, it's easy for me to accept it, to listen to it. I will ask you why it's easy for me, because I have studied the teaching. I have learned the teaching. I, you know, I think not all of you have studied in, in school in Russia. Um, this is like the table of multiplication. When you learn it, then whatever... Uh, problem or formula you're told, you know the answer because you know the table of multiplication. And when you know the teaching of Jesus Christ, and when you come and when you listen to it, then you are able to see where this teaching leads you, what we must rely on. You have a foundation, a basis. If you don't have a foundation, you're going to have a lot of questions. And in the first book of John, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, these words are written, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. You know, if we read this at first, you know, it says, all of us uh, proclaim Christ. Wherever you go, uh, everyone's a Christian all around. Uh, and you ask, are you a, a disciple of Jesus Christ? People then say, well, I don't, I don't need that. And I always had an interesting question. It's interesting that all 
a lot of Christians are not disciples. And when it's written about the first Christians, the first believers, they were disciples. And what did they do? Each of them daily had gathered. They had abided in the teaching of the apostles, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And then when we read further on in this place of scripture, it says, and the disciples first began to be called Christians. And uh, when, I, when I hear this, uh, when we hear this, then we are led to the teaching. Because why do they begin to be called Christians? Because Christians is from the word Christ. Because they were like twins of Christ. They were like twins of Christ. When we walk in the Lord, we must grow so that we can be, uh, we can look like Christ. And in order to look like Christ, we must have a lamp that is going to light our every step and path. And we can read this uh, like this. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Each spirit who does not follow the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh that is outlined in the 12 hours of a day is not of God. But this is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. And when we communicate among believers, uh, we know that there exist infants and there are then those who are carnal because they are buried in their religious activities and they don't understand what they're doing. According to scripture, in order to be ransomed from the captivity of sin and death and to enter into the rest of God through the teaching of Christ that flows out of the ancient path of goodness, it is necessary after our repentance to be clothed into the garments of light and the subject of truth that unveils the purpose and the powers of the reigning teaching of Christ. According to the words of Apostle Paul, the first dimension in the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ is the teaching or the doctrine of baptisms in its trinity. In the three teachings that flow from one another, this is the baptism of water, or baptism in water, baptism in the Holy Spirit, and baptism in fire. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And when Pastor, when we were on Friday and Pastor had explained this word in the dignity of this word sometimes some reason escapes me all the time Maher Shalal Hajbaz and the end he made a certain remark or a note he had mentioned a detail if we do not know the doctrine of baptisms nothing will we'll be successful in nothing. That's why today we are going to slightly touch upon this uh, teaching. And the teaching of the doctrine of baptisms, the doctrine of depriving the power of death of power. 
or depriving devil of power. And this triumph for man occurs through his faith, through his faith and the faith in the fact that Jesus is Christ. We should know that a person who believes that Jesus is Christ is a person who was born of God. And therefore, to a person born of God can only accept baptism of water. So only a person that is born of God can accept baptism on water. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him, who begot also, loves him who is begotten of him. 1 John 5, first book of John, verse 5, verse 1. Uh, before, when I had meditated upon this, I always wanted to understand this correctly. I thought, okay, we're studying the teaching of Jesus Christ together, and when we read about the teaching, we read about the um, baptism, then we read about the covenants with God, and then third, we learn about the teaching of being born again, and then the teaching of eternal judgment, I think to myself, well, how? First we are born, and then for, but we're studying baptisms first, and I had always wondered, why do we start from baptisms? And I want to um, explain to you right now how this occurs. This occurs like this, so when the Word of God, when we hear the Word of God about the salvation of, of God, and when we accept it into our heart, when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, when we repent, then in this moment, we are born again. We have accepted and believed that Jesus is Christ. We have accepted Him in our heart. And when we were born again, God had offered to us to make a covenant with Him in the baptism in water. And then, only then, can we, through this teaching, be clothed into righteousness, into holiness, and perfection. I want to focus our attention, pay attention that baptism in water in which we are immersed into and death of Christ is called to separate us from the world. And before God, it is a seal of righteousness that we had before baptism. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, their righteousness might be imputed to them also. <coughs> this is that format of righteousness that a person receives in the moment of his acceptance of salvation if he accepts the salvation on God's conditions. This format of righteousness cannot be garments of righteousness when we receive it um, so, th this format of righteousness can be garments of righteousness. When we place the silver into circulation, how do we place the silver into circulation? For this, the teaching of Christ is given. The baptism in water is a demonstration of righteousness that we had received according to faith in Jesus Christ, accepting Him as our personal Savior. You know, many people who are young, who accept baptism of water, and I, I also thought the same thing. I thought, okay, I'm going to be baptized in water, I'm not going to sin, I'm going to be so good. And you know, I was baptized in water, <laughs> it was about two days that I lasted, and that's it. 
Why do we think this way? Many people thought that when they are baptized in water, that they will be completely transformed, that they're going to become righteous. But right, people don't become righteous in the moment of baptism. It's at the moment of birth. Remember the story when Jesus had come to John and when John had saw him, he had said, wait. I need to be baptized from you. And Jesus said, let, let this righteousness be fulfilled. Jesus understood that he had given, brought this new baptism. He was righteous. He was born of God. And when he said that, this is how, who, who are we? His body, all those who believe in him, we must come and make a covenant with him. He gave us this as example. How do we become righteous? We must understand this place of scripture. Having been justified by his blood, we are saved from his anger. And in Hebrews 10.10, it says, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Sanctified not through, not through works, but sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So when a believer has a teaching, when the devil attacks him, he says, you are a sinner. A person sins, he falls. And the devil says, you're a sinner. God isn't looking at you the same anymore. If we are based on the fact that the righteous shall fall seven times, will get back up. Why will he get back up? Because he has the Lord. The Lord will lift him up. It's written that the wicked will fall and not get back up. That's why Revelation 22, verse 11 says, He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. So in order to practice righteousness, we must be righteous. We are righteous not because we do something, but we are righteous according to our birth. Because it's written that He has given to us by the word of truth. And when we have accepted this, and when we have accepted baptism in water and had made a covenant with him, he, has, he had given us a new name. When I had not yet known about the teaching of Jesus Christ, and we walked around, preached, and people would ask, do you know your new name? I thought, what new name? People would come and say, oh, God revealed this to me. And people would actually name different names. And I, I, didn't, I didn't know what my name was going to be, but when I learned the teaching of Jesus Christ, I, I knew about my new name. This new name means holy unto the Lord. I have a new name, holy unto the Lord. 
And when I began to read the word, what stopped me? Because when I began to proclaim that I had died to sin and I lived for God, I knew that I was holy unto the Lord. And there was a certain circumstance in my life where I had behaved incorrectly. And a certain sister came up to me and said, oh, a man of God shouldn't um, be bitter. I understood this, but how do I not be bitter if I have the old man that rises up? Well, only when we deprive it of power, when we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. We shouldn't relax in, in question to this. Because as soon as you begin to close your mouth, as soon as you begin to relax, you will... Remember when we talked about emotions? You woke up, you have a bad emotion, bad attitude, and then a bird comes or flies next to you and asks you, well, maybe God doesn't exist. You ask yourself, we must not go based off emotions. I had endured this very many times. You get up in the morning, it's very hard for you, and thoughts come to you. What do you believe in? Where are you going? Take a look, people, all people live this way. How come you live differently? But when you begin to understand that you must lead your feelings, you begin to thank God for His redemption. Your emotions are gone and everything around you changes. Tears flow down your face. It's very important to understand this. The faith of the heart, it does not work without the proclamation of our lips. And as we've already said, that he who is uh, just, or he who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Um, he who, so that's, he who is righteous, let him be righteous still. So a lot of people misunderstand what righteousness is, or what does it mean to be righteous? And how can we be sanctified if we don't know what true sanctification is and how we must currently, we must correctly sanctify ourselves? just as God wants us to. To practice righteousness and be sanctified, we can come to perfection. Because to be perfect, as we know, is uh, God's command. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Matthew 5:48. And together, we must be clothed in the garments of righteousness, holiness, and perfection. This is now the second format of righteousness. One format of righteousness we receive in a deposit, and the second format of righteousness that we receive through edification and faith is the income or the reward that clothes us in the powers of the fear of the Lord and makes us able to distinguish good from evil. The Word of God says, Depart from sin and cling to good and practice righteousness and works of justice. This will of God is known as the good, acceptable, and perfect will. 
In order to be clothed into righteousness, we need to sow righteousness in ourselves. This is to meditate upon what we hear, which means when accepting the messenger of God and hearing his word about justification, we need to implement the definition of righteousness into our conscience through our faith in Jesus Christ. And in practice, this is to meditate upon what we have heard, which means to submit ourselves to what we hear and to proclaim what we have heard as our inheritance that God has placed on our account in Christ Jesus. In baptism and water, we accept all three baptisms, water, Holy Spirit, and fire, for they baptize us in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three formats of baptism are one, because of which, uh, because they define the relationship with the one God, and they are done by one faith. Ephesians 4, 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. All three formats of baptism, although they pursue one goal to unite us in the death of Christ, they fulfill different functions. According to the sequence of the foundations on uh, the walls of the New Jerusalem, the teaching of baptisms in the format of the baptism in water is the first foundation. The first foundation, baptism of water, is the root out of which all of the following teachings grow from. So baptism and water is the root system. And in order to understand why this is so, we will study this when we study the virtue of the watchman that is on this first foundation. The main function that the baptism in water is supposed to fulfill is separation from the world that lies in sin. The main function that baptism in the Holy Spirit is called to fulfill is to separate us from the vain life passed along to us from our fathers. And the main function that baptism in fire is called to fulfill is to separate our new man from our old man. Each function of baptism in our life is a certain process, a certain process in which we walk by faith uh, as long as we fulfill the conditions that are revealed to us in the gospel or the preached word of the preachers and messengers of God. So we know, understand that baptism, baptism in water, is not just one act because when we are baptized in water, we need the person who could immerse us into this water. And in order to immerse us into the waters of the Word of God, because we know the Word of God is water, we also need a person. We need a person who contains or carries the powers of messengership. If we don't have the person who was placed to rule as our father, we will have nothing. The teaching on baptism in water is the first foundation of the wall of the New Jerusalem. The first foundation, Jasper, Revelation 21:19. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was Jasper. And the virtue expressed in the name of the watchman engraved on Jasper uh, was the name Apostle, the Apostle Peter. 
And in order for us to understand what we must engrave in our heart, uh, because this also must be, we are the new Jerusalem, each person individually, and we must have a foundation. We must, this foundation, Jasper, the stone Jasper must be in us. And the name of this watchman also must be engraved on the stone. And it is contained in his names. Because Peter means Simon, or Peter Simon. And Jesus said, you, Simon, son of Jonah, be called Peter. Peter means living rock. In order for us to be a living rock to God, we must do something. And the name Simon means to hear. All of this occurs through hearing the word of God. Because as we have heard, this is the root system out of which all the teachings flow. If we don't have this, if we don't have baptism in water in this aspect, we can't be baptized in fire. Without this, we can't make a covenant with God because it's written that he does not do anything without sending his word. It's written that he sent his word. They had healed them. And when people come and they ask questions, they say, listen to the word of God. All of the answers, all that you want to receive from God will come through his word. There is no other way. He has sent his word and it uh, fulfills its work. And oftentimes um, I'm asked a question and I can't answer all the questions. And when we had studied the teaching in cell groups, we arrived at a place of scripture and asked, do you understand this? They said yes. And I asked them, do you understand this? Other place of scripture, they say no. And I sit there and I realize I don't understand quite well. And I say, let's do this. Let's wait. And you know, when we were in, uh, we were at church on Thursdays, we listened to Sunday sermons that we hear here. And we were listening to the sermon and an answer came. And when I looked back, everyone had smiled. We then said, we've received the answer. This is how this truth works. Because when I don't understand something, I ask God a question. Lord, I don't understand. I don't come. Um, I don't, we don't come here in order to listen to the word. Well, we come here. We're given it not so that we learn it and have this as knowledge, but so we can apply it, so that we can offer fruit to God. The promises of God are given to us so that we can fulfill His will and not so that we can satisfy our needs or our pride. And Simon needs to hear. And it's written that he was the son of Jonah. And Jonah means dove. And we studied the nature of a dove. After I heard this, I had observed these doves. I went to my, I came to my neighbor. She had lots of doves. 
I said, Valentina, your doves, do your doves pluck out your flowers? She says, no, why? Because she takes the grain, she throws it, and they come and they gather the grain. This means that when we come into the house of God, we must prepare this word that is in us. When we see the words up on the screen, when you go into the house of the Lord, be ready to give a sacrifice. When we come and when we gather, this word, when we do this, only then we can be called a living rock. Peter, if we don't have, um, if we don't hear, if we don't prepare our heart, we'll never have this. And I want us to remember that to hear with our heart the preached word about the kingdom of heaven, it is necessary for our heart to be simple, which is impossible without accepting the Holy Spirit. Only this way can we clothe ourselves with the teaching of Christ, fulfilling the conditions contained in the 12 teachings. So we must have simplicity, the simplicity of a dove. How can we understand this? So when we come, we must uh, accept things that we do understand and things that we perhaps don't understand. We don't, things that we don't understand, we shouldn't throw away to the side. We must accept everything. I want us to remember that on the breastplate of judgment, we also are met with the stone jasper. And on it is the name of God, Yahweh, which means commander. And on it is engraved the name of the son, Jacob, Benjamin. And all of this points to the property of a worshiper of God to trust in Him. When I had first come to God and released my thanksgiving, that having been justified by His grace, we heirs of eternal life. Uh, we must understand that hope must be grown. If we don't have, excuse me, if we don't have this trust, we are not heirs of eternal life. And we can grow this trust only through hearing, only through accepting the word of God when we place it into circulation. And let's remember this son, Benjamin, this story is also similar to our story. So when he was born and his mother had died, what did she call him? Benoni, which means the son of my despair. But when the father looked at him, he changed his name. He said, you're Benjamin. You're the son of son of my bliss or son of my joy. So all of us grew up, all of us uh, had these older brothers uh, who had, who were like, who had, like Joseph's brothers who had sold him. The father, how was he comforted? They would say to Joseph, you had to hear your own happiness, or to Benjamin. You, your own mother said that you were a son of my despair. And he says, no, my father says I am the son of his joy. 
when we accept the righteousness of God and whatever may occur in our lives when we say I am righteous I am holy unto the Lord if you know that you are born from him proclaim this speak of it do not give up this position to anybody around and we through hearing the preached word must be led to trust in God to trust in God is to show our faith to the word of God we know that faith is from hearing and hearing is from the word of God and faith is the discipline to live according to the information that comes from God by hearing the preached word about the kingdom of heaven you know, this is unveiled very well in the Sermon on the Mount. There it says that when Jesus saw the people, he ascended upon the mountain, the disciples came up to him, and he sat down and began to teach and say, Blessed are the poor in spirit. I think that we've heard about this many times, but I want to show you a little bit of a different angle to it. So when we see the poor in spirit, I, I don't know how poor people are here, like physical poor people, but uh, for us, there are people who ask for bread. Uh, they don't have anywhere to, to live, to sleep. I see that they live in tents. And a, a poor person is a person if he is truly poor. He depends on whatever he is given. Whatever he's given, he lives according by it. This first foundation tells us or shows us who we are dependent on. We are dependent on, the, on God who gives to us. Because he says, not by bread alone will man live, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Furthermore, when we accept this word, we have gathered this word, you go and I want us to read uh, the place of scripture that is written in Job chapter 40 verses 10 through 19. I won't read it fully, but it says, Look now at the behemoth which I made along with you. He eats grass like an ox. See now, his strength is in his lips and his power is in his stomach muscles. He moves his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are tightly knit. His bones are like beams of bronze, his ribs like bars of iron. He is the first of the ways of God. Only he who made him can bring near his sword. So God had paid attention to Job. He says, look at the behemoth. I had uh, uh, at one point seen a battle between these two uh, animals. And I know that uh, in the finale, there were two, there were many many animals in this um, in this demonstration or presentation um, but the behemoth had came to the finale 
And God says, look at how he eats grass. He eats grass like an ox. When we come here, we must accept this word. And then, leaving here, what must we do? How do we eat grass? I will explain to you. So we lived in, in a village. We had a cow. We led her out to pasture. She went and tended pasture there and she came home and she chewed on it. We received milk. But there were certain moments when the father came in and said, the cow is not chewing cud. And he said that there were certain circumstances that uh, this had destroyed the cow. She wasn't able to chew. What am I trying to tell you here? That if we come here, if we accept the word of God, and we go home and we do not meditate, we do not meditate so that we can offer fruit, Oh, we are going to choke. We meet these Christians many times. They walk around like puffed up roosters. Puffed up roosters that, will always, um, that can always go to attack. They all say, this isn't according to the teaching, or this isn't right, or I have my own head. Don't pay attention to these people. Chew the word of God. Meditate upon the word of God. And you are going to offer fruit. I know certain instances this was uh, in our lives when we had lived where we lived. Um, some of the cows when we had tended the to certain cows, my father would say, be careful that he not go into the cornfield. And uh, there was a cow that did go into the cornfield. She went to the cornfield, um, and then she became very bloated from eating all this corn, and she was almost, uh, she was barely saved. There's also an example, one sister, uh, she went away, or one of their cows, she went away, she was gone for three days, and then she died. This means that we shouldn't go in someone else's field, otherwise it will bloat, we will eat too much, choke and die. And in the book of Ruth, Boaz says, do not go into a stranger's field to gather. Go according to the steps of my servants and gather after them. This is very important. When we go somewhere, we are going to eat of the food that they eat of, and we may choke. And God is merciful if we have somebody who then is able to resuscitate us or save us from this choking and we survive. But not everyone survives. And furthermore, the Word of God tells us how we must eat this Word. So when we studied the Ten Conditions, of how to accept the Pesach of the Lord. Do you remember? Uh, there is a certain condition that we must eat of it hastily, in haste. And Pastor had told us before that he will give eight uh, conditions. We've only gone through seven so far, and I, I'm observant. I'm waiting for us to get to the eighth one. But 
I want us to be reminded of them. To eat the Pesach of the Lord in haste means to meditate the contents of the Pesach feast, or rather, over those truths that we fertilize ourselves with through the seed of the word that we hear. Second, to hear or to eat of the word of God in humility and brokenness of the heart. Third, to be vigilant or to stand watch of what we are meditating upon or what we eat by or through our hearing of the word of God. Fourth, we must cherish the time that is given to eat of Pesach. Fourth, fifth, we must desire and find joy in eating Pesach and the subject of hunger of hearing the gospel word of the kingdom of heaven. Sixth, we must perfect our salvation with fear, trembling, and reverence. And seventh, we must be strengthened with all might according to the might of the glory of God and all, and all patience with gladness and cheer. And to summarize this first foundation, uh, today I would like to read the place of Holy Scripture that is written in Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 1 through 3. These words are written here. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Here and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercy of David. And now, I will read this in a more, uh, a rather expanded version, so that we can uh, understand this was a scripture. Those who thirst for salvation in God, go all to the sources of living water, even you who do not have the deposit of salvation, God gives them a chance. Accept it according to my conditions, the one whom I have sent and eat what they offer you. Go, purchase without silver and without any money the wine and the milk. Why should you place your silver into suffocation for what is not bread and for that which does not satisfy? Listen to me closely and eat of goodness and your soul let it be satisfied with the power of my anointing word. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live and I will give you an everlasting covenant the unchanging mercies promised to David. Praise be to our Lord for his mercy, for his word, for the fact that he enlightens our way as well as each of our steps. We're going to stand and pray and thank our Lord for all that good that comes from him. Yeah.
дорогой небесный отец heavenly father in the name of jesus christ я благодарю тебя за привилегию быть на этом я благодарю тебя отец за то что ты хотел родил нас you have given birth to я благодарю Тебя, что Ты привел нас через Иисуса Христа на Твою Я благодарю Тебя, что Ты на этой горе открыл нам Твой and be submitted to it. Praise to you and worship to you. I thank you for all that good that comes from you. I thank you for the promise that you have given at the door of our hope that in our body the resurrection of Christ will reign in our bodies and that the law of sin and death will be destroyed out of our lives and cast into the underworld. I thank you that in this promise, Father, you have come to help us. And I thank you that we are under your arm and you cast out our enemies away from us and you will say, I will destroy them. And I ask you, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, bless us. Bless us when we leave this place. The Holy Spirit, come with us. Help us to meditate upon the truths that we hear, that we have accepted. Help us to meditate upon it, to meditate so that we can apply it in our lives and to offer you fruit. May your name be magnified in your people and through your people. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the hand of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, 
who alone is wise. Be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.